And what does it what does it say on the screen? Oh shoot, that says Art House Drive-In? Splittooth Media's latest film podcast? Aren't we the the co-hosts of that podcast? Are you Robert? Are you T? Oh snap! Is that is that our faces up in the sky? Uh, looking pretty good, looking pretty good. I guess we'll be coming back here pretty uh, pretty often then, at least every week. At least every week, talking about at least one film or two short films, or I guess we'll be going on a on a journey through the world of our house film. I guess. Yeah, that's pretty. That's gonna be pretty cool. <laughs> Come along, everybody. More room in the drive-in. I don't know how we got here, but I love it. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Art House Drive-In. Your semi-weekly, (laughs) bi-weekly, weekly, we haven't quite decided yet, podcast where uh, my more knowledgeable cousin Rob and I dive into something. (laughs) The world of strange, weird, avant-garde film. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. It's that it's that old chestnut. Um so this is our fifth episode now. Hard to hard to believe that we're already here. Yeah, it's a milestone episode, this one. So I'm excited to get into mm-hmm. it with you. Yeah, this was the first film that felt really like you were trying to make me think about things. <laughs> I'm I mean it's supposed to. So I mean I'm glad that sort of came off. I was I'm working up to these sort of films. I'm not mm-hmm. gonna just Smash was, you over the head all it the time. It wasn't seven hours, but we, you, you, you <laughs> no. got me. You got me thinking. You got me pondering. I have. I, I took notes. So we're at kind of an interesting point in this whole pandemic thing, aren't we? We definitely are. Yeah, grinding like the grindstone. You know. Yeah. Um. So I'm not sure when anyone's going to be listening to this, but this is actually hello first episode of 2021. That's true. 2020 fun is what I'm <laughs> hoping for, but I'm not holding my breath. Um, yeah. but well, with with the holidays and everything, um, it seems like people have been a little more low energy, just yeah. because of the whole nature thing. So, Rob, what what are you doing to kind of like keep your spirits up during these times? Uh man. So there are, there are a couple things. One, I'm trying to watch as many movies as possible, and movies that are maybe out of not out of my comfort zone, but things that I know I should be watching, um, like classic. Uh, Japanese movies or or classic movies from like regions that I haven't really delved into too much. So I'm trying to keep my brain alive, but I'm also playing a lot of Civilization Five. Yeah, you've gone full strategic mastermind over there. Then I am trying to conquer the world every single time I touch my laptop when I play that game. Like I I so I play that game. I listen to Conan O'Brien's podcast. Conan needs a friend, and I <laughs> sit there and trying to. Um, build every build the Sistine Chapel every, every time. Every time I sit down. So you strike me as the person who would either always go for the science victory or always go for the cultural victory. I always want to do the cultural victory, but because it's so hard to do in that game, I always lose when I try and do that. So I try and have a balance between science and and culture. And uh, I haven't won a game in a while because mm. I usually play on the hard setting anyway. But I'm also so bad at the end game that I can't. I, I go out so strong in the beginning, 
and then I just taper off and taper off until I lose on time every single time. It's infuriating. Maybe you should just follow Gandhi's whole strategy and just nuke the world. I was thinking about it. it makes me sad doing military stuff in that game. I don't know why. It seems absurd because it's not real, right? It's a, it's a video <laughs> You're a game. pacifist at heart. It, it makes me sad when I do military. Like, when other people attack me in that game, I seriously get, like, offended. And it's a computer. I'm playing a computer, and I get How mad at them. How dare you? I just sold you oranges. <laughs> Dude, like you're making you're making a joke, but that's exactly how I feel. I'm like I I've been trading I we were with you. Yeah, I've been giving you my incense for a hundred years, and you choose to attack me like this. It's I take you it so personally. You come to attack me on the yeah, eve I, of our hundred years incense agreement. I take that game so personally, and it's a lifeless computer that I'm playing. And when I conquer something, when I conquer a city, like uh, this will be the last example. I was playing in Spain. Uh, conquered a city right next to me and it was so small and so dinky and it was never going to be anything else than a little tiny civilization and well, it was that cut just off. sounds defeatist <laughs> and it was cut off from the rest of the civilization and it was right next to my territory so i was like of course i'm going to conquer it and as i was doing it i felt like i was destroying like a culture like in real life i felt so bad oh my god um, and <laughs> I just, yeah that'll I was make like, it difficult i can't do this and i don't change the names of the city either if i conquer the city it's still seville because I felt bad changing it. Maybe if you changed it to something like Butt Town USA, you'd feel a little better about it. I would feel much better about it. That would probably that would probably solve all of my guilt issues with Civ mm-hmm. Five. Uh, well, while you've been going for the intellectual stimulation, I have only been doing physical. Um, <laughs> yeah, actually. Uh, this past weekend was the first time I've gone wakeboarding since I sliced my foot open uh, about a month ago. Oh, congratulations, sir. How yeah. was it? Um, you know, it was interesting. I was definitely rusty. I am yeah. extraordinarily sore. Um, but something I didn't really realize is um, while my foot is healed, I mean, it was like a like three-inch long gash in the bottom of my foot. Oh, my and while the it's all healed up now um but there's so much scar tissue underneath the skin that while i was riding it felt like i was riding on top of rocks oh my god dude um so to balance that out today um i've had a rock underneath my foot (laughs) that i've been rolling around trying to break up the scar tissue like physical therapy yeah a little bit and so i think it's time to introduce what what this episode is going to be about. So this episode is on a film called Sink or Swim. I'm so energized after talking about Civ Five. I'm so riled up. That's now. the whole this point. I was Gets such the people low going. <laughs> now I'm I'm pumped because I'm thinking about world domination. But uh, <laughs> this episode is about Sink or Swim from director Sue Friedrich, and this is a very important film in my life for a number of reasons. But um, it's it, so I'll go into it now. Uh, last summer. I worked for the Rhode Island International Film Festival, and I was a program associate for them, mostly judging film submissions. But I remember seeing a, a particular film, which is called um, The Whale by Oriana Lehman, and I was like, I have to talk to this person. I really want to write, or at least write something about this film, because I think it's so interesting. And um, my supervisor, Sean Quirk, who's the programming director, um, was just like, dude, go for it. Interview her. And while you're at it, interview like two other people. And um, you give me an inch, and I'll take a mile in those scenarios so i interviewed three i interviewed six people and i ended up interviewing 
uh, over 30 people for the Rhode Island International Film Festival. So I really like cut my teeth as an interviewer. Yeah, hence why you can find all of Rob's interviews now on the Split Tooth website uh, because of (laughs) all that practice. And and so one day I was talking to Brett, who's the film editor of Split Tooth, and I just watched Sink or Swim for the thousandth time. And I was like, oh, I looked up and the anniversary of this film is coming up. That's that's kind of crazy. And Brett knew I was doing all these interviews. And he's like, well, I mean, you maybe want to talk to Sue Friedrich about it. And I was incredibly intimidated because she's one of my favorite filmmakers <laughs> and she's an icon. And uh she had her email up because she's a professor at Princeton and I was just like well I guess I'll go for it who knows if she's even gonna respond and little did I know that not only would she respond but it would be like the most incredible interview of my life where I got to talk to you know one of my favorite directors about one of my favorite films yeah and you can read all of it on the split tooth website how convenient (laughs) is that how convenient is that and shameless plug shameless plug yeah, she she didn't even know that it was the 30th anniversary, so I, I sort of reminded her of that, and she was really appreciative to the point where um, she sent me a poster, uh, the original poster of the oh, film. Oh, that's so sick. Um, which is like a crown jewel of mine. Like, it's like, I will treasure that for the rest of my life. Is it going to um, be like a family heirloom you're going to give to your kid and of their course. kid and so on and so forth? Uh, it'll be passed down from generation to generation. And uh, so why I chose this film is because it was one of the first films that I saw that really challenged me in a big way that when I watched it I didn't know what to think of it on a first viewing which is very Mm. different than a lot of the films that we watch growing up are mostly like you have an experience and you understand it and you move on with your life and go on and you do whatever yeah I uh, I definitely didn't leave uh, Avengers Endgame think uh, thinking like man what the hell just happened there exactly mm, no maybe I did but that's for a different reason (laughs) This film is a lingering experience, and it's one you have to watch more than once to understand literally anything about it. And it took me years to understand parts of it, because I don't think I understand it 100%. But also it took me doing an interview with the director of the film to force myself to like meditate about why I love this film so much. And that's why I wanted to, you know, to show this to T, because I think this film is sort of an example of um, living with the film for a long time, um, maturing with the film and changing along with it. It sounds very mm-hmm. cheesy, but I, I really believe in that. When I first saw Sink or Swim, I was like a different person and maybe wasn't able to take in the lessons that Sue Friedrich was trying to teach me. And now that I'm older and I know more about film, like, you know, I was able to take in the sort of the philosophy of the film much better. Well, then this will be interesting because you're going to have my perspective of someone who has seen it once and does not study film. Um, and even with just that, I'll admit for the first maybe five, ten minutes, I wasn't quite sure what to think. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I like Greek mythology. It starts off with some. Um, yeah. And so that was kind of like a good hook for me personally, maybe not for everybody. Um, but I thought it was I thought it was really cool how how like in depth and detailed of a story she was able to tell uh, with it's it felt like very little tools uh, sound was just like sparingly used all throughout it um, so when she did use it you knew that it meant something I mean other than mm-hmm. narration um, I don't know it, this was a kind of movie that actually like had me actively second guessing myself and thinking all the way through it and I, I, I do enjoy that kind of thing I'm I'm really happy that you have that reaction. Um, 
I think you should give yourself some credit too, because this is a challenging film, and we'll talk about sort of the challenging aspect of experimental film. I'm definitely going to have to like watch it again. Um, So so now I'm going to have to grow up with it and see how I feel after (laughs) like my 26th viewing or something. Um, But I'll, I'll let you know how that goes when I do that. And and if you've been listening to these podcasts, um, usually we have not like a so lengthy, but a big chunk of the episode is history and synopsis. And um, this episode is going to be sort of sparse in that regard. Um, Famous last we, words. Yeah, we really want to talk about the film as, as much as possible. So I'm going to give a very brief history of, of Sue Friedrich and this film. And you can sort of go on and look up the rest if you want. So uh, um, she's been making films since the 1970s and she's sort of considered both an icon of experimental film and of queer cinema because she's very open about her sexuality from you know the late 70s when not everybody was you know was doing that you know mm-hmm. what i mean so i think she's a, sort of a queer cinema icon as well which is important um to her work and um she's she's known for films like the ties that bind in 1985 um which is, you know, damned if you don't, 1987, uh, First Comes Love in 1991, Rules of the Road in 1993, which is a, a, a film that talks about a relationship through filming only cars. It's incredible. Well, I, I got to um, tell you, my, my first relationship was something like uh, a Volkswagen Beetle, so I get that. It's literally a film where you just look at one make of a car and that's it and you look at it in all of these different situations and it's just, it's incredible. We're going to watch it at some point, but it's just, it's brilliant. And, um, and more recently she made seeing red in 2005 and I cannot tell you how I feel in 2016. And she's still actively making films. Um, she teaches at Princeton. Um, she recently made a website called edited by, which is like an archive of the history of, uh, women film editors, which is a big part of film history. And she also made, um, a website for um, director William Greaves, who's an amazing film director, but not nearly, you know, not talked about nearly enough. Um, WilliamGreaves.com, mm. um, which is sort of like a repository for his films and the history of, of him as an important um, director, as a important black director, especially. So um, is this a director it, who like influenced her style a great deal as well, I'm guessing? I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure he influenced her too. But I think most importantly he's an incredible director who i think is not talked about in the zeitgeist sort of enough like um there's a film called symbiopsychotaxoplasm uh take one which is a mouthful (laughs) it's a mouthful of a name but it is one of the greatest films i've ever seen Hmm. are we going to be watching that one yeah, there's an episode of Real Rap, a podcast called Real Rap, if you want to go listen to that, um, with my friends Shane and Bennett, and they go in depth about that film. Oh, uh, sick. And they do a great job. And, uh, which is also on Split Tooth Media. Burr, burr, and, burr. Uh, <laughs> and so, Sink or Swim came out in 1990, um, and it stands alone as one of the defining works of autobiographical filmmaking, or diaristic filmmaking, like a diary. Um, uh, I won't go too much into it, because T will just say in the, in the synopsis, but, uh, it's it's sort of a major work in American independent cinema and American experimental cinema. So that's really all I'm going to say about Sue Friedrich and her films and all of that. Um, she's incredible. Please go look up, you know, her up and watch all of her films, all the films that you can of her, because she's um, a defining figure of American cinema, especially. I'm definitely going to start checking out a couple of these, um, probably ones that we're not going to go into right away on the podcast. But if you had to pick... Uh, one of the ones that you just described, uh, Ties That Bind, Damn If You Don't, First Come to Love, First of the Road, Seeing Red, or I Can't Tell You How I Feel, which would you recommend, f- like, knowing me? 
knowing you, I would go with Rules of the Road, and then I would go with Damned if you um if you don't um hmm. Damned if you don't is an amazing film, but Rules of the Road is like a it's just like it, oh, it's an incre- it's just absolutely brilliant. Um, she does like so much with a limitation. I guess it's not really a limitation with how much she does with it, but just filming a relation, presenting a relationship through filming cars, filming mm-hmm. the same model of one car. Um, is such it's such a like a tight limitation but she does so much with it i don't know um there's actually another movie that tells a pretty realistic love story using only cars (laughs) are you talking about cars (laughs) 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 the the defining film of pixar's masterpiece (laughs) cars 2 Oh my god. And with that <laughs> And with that, let's hear let's hear your synopsis, buddy boy. Okay. <laughs> after after that incredible <laughs> I don't think I can match oh. that up. Um okay, so we're we're using oh. synopsis in a pretty generous term for this one. If only because it's tough to give a synopsis of an um autobiography. Oh. So I'm going to break it into less, we'll call it a synopsis, sure, what the hell, we'll give it our fucking best job. Um, all right, so synopsis. Um, I honestly have been, before we started recording, I sat by and tried to figure out how the hell I'm going to summarize this movie. Um, and I really couldn't come up with anything, so I'm going to explain it instead. Um, so... This film is telling the story of uh, Sue Friedrich's more formative years through a series of vignettes. Um, and she does this by incorporating uh, like stories of Greek mythology, um, which re- resonated uh, between her and her father, who, who studied that and was a professor of that. Um, and so it, it talks about her relationship with her father and her mother and her family um, and how that affected her growing up. Uh, And I could go and talk about individual vignettes, but I don't really see a point because we're going to talk about a lot of these in the analysis. Um, I think think I've kind of covered the important things in that um, she's telling her own story in a very very creative way. Um, I think that's all I can really say. At least I don't have to censor myself out this time uh, because I, I can't make spoilers about something I can't describe I think that was perfect to be honest with you I think cause this is a very non-narrative film so it's it's hard to do a synopsis of like a, a kind of non-narrative work yeah know? yeah okay well then there we go we're good to, so, <laughs> we're good to yeah, go and now we're over the hump we're into the analysis baby so memory is a huge part of this film not only because obviously Sue Friedrich is sort of remembering her childhood mm-hmm. but memory is part of the structure of the presentation it's i think there's a lot of discussion happening about how we remember things mm-hmm. so we talked a little bit about this with Lodger Tay, but mm-hmm. there's an important sequence in this film where um there's a story of her and her sister um going to a neighbor's apartment and watching uh donna michi's flying circus mm. and how yes. she relates that is not by showing two girls going to someone's apartment and sitting down in front of a TV and watching it. She shows footage of what I assume is Don Amici's 
flying circus. If it's somebody's and, um, circus, um, right. it was definitely <laughs> memorable. There were some. There was a lot of dude butts um, in in leotards. Yeah, and and I think what what that sequence is sort of talking about is that how we remember things is sort of uh, depends on the moment. Like for me. Um, a lot of my childhood I remember in flashes of like cartoons mm-hmm. and Sue Friedrich is saying that that memory of that childhood moment is not of me looking at my sister me looking at the the apartment or whatever it's that not because she never looked art. at them but yeah it's a it's like it's like a a, a visual memory yeah it's, it's not um... a data point it's not you know this happened and then this happened it's like an emotional feeling too yeah no and I could definitely relate to that um I mean, one, I think we talked about this in a previous episode, but my memory is so bad, it's scary, um, to the point where I wonder if my multiple uh, impact sports have caused some serious damage. Um, But actually, and this isn't something we've talked about before, uh, back in the day when I used to do trampoline, um, Mm -hmm. it took me a long time to figure out that this was how I learned things, but Mm -hmm. I had to think about a specific image that was in my mind when I first learned how to do a trick to recreate it, at least when I was still practicing. So it took me a long time to remember. I think this one was like a back layout into like a belly flop. This was when I was still like learning things, um, like beginner stuff. But for some reason, when I first learned it, I had an image of a sarcophagus. I think I probably like watched the mummy or something before. Um, and every time I was like, okay, I'm going to do this, image of a sarcophagus flashed in my mind. I was like, oh, yeah, that's how I do it. Right. Yeah, and like how I – something that's coming up in my mind is I remember uh, I used to go camping at this place called Assateague, which I think is in Delaware, I mm, want to say. Sounds Delawarean. Sure. Um, but uh, they have all these wild horses there. And so when I think about that place, I see like a, f- a herd of galloping wild horses. I don't see like the people that I was with, the tents, what I – when I view that moment, it's like the most emotional uh, part of that journey, seeing that like sort of majestic scenery with like uh, horses. With wild horses plowing through it. I never knew so you were like, a horse girl. I wish. And uh, do you? And another moment. <laughs> do you really? And I think that I think is important too is the vacation sequence. So Sue Friedrich goes on a vacation. It's not a documentary, but like the character of this child goes on a goes on a vacation with her father mm-hmm. um to mexico city into acapulco and how she presents that vacation is through um sunlight passing through palm leaves or uh waves of water or like the the waves of sand on the beach and like there are all of these shots of like herons and cranes and you know like of birds and and the environment and it's and it's this dreamy presentation that sort of captivates you while you're watching but but part of the story is that the landscape captivated her so much that she was late to um a dinner and a lunch with her father and her father made her go home and it was this very traumatic mm-hmm. moment so like but you don't see that you see no. the beautiful parts that stick out like how you don't yeah. see the airport or yeah. her packing for this thing and it changes that image too, right? This like beautiful dreamlike imagery really changes when you hear about sort of the trauma behind it. It shows you how like yeah. multi-leveled that memory is. Yeah, know? it's it's a wild contrast between these yeah. beautiful images and just a super super depressing uh, view at uh, how her father affected her childhood. 
and that's that's a great transition. Nice job, hey. bro, Mr. Broadcaster. To, uh, uh, thanks, <laughs> thanks, friend. To to the relationship between the imagery <laughs> and the narration in this film is very important because there are moments where there are very hard contrasts from the narration. So the the film is narrated by what seems like a young girl, um, Jessica Lynn, I think is her name, and um, you see these images, and they can often be very different than the story that is being related. Most notably, um, you see like a, a montage of a Holy Communion, and you hear about a story about her and her sister essentially like being waterboarded by her father and abused, physically abused. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. So a bit the, messed the up. hard contrast there is incredible you know not incredible as in good but like incredible as in it's so cutting yeah you know. incredible in the sense that while i was watching i was like what the fuck is going on because you, you in your mind you're like baptism like her you know like the abuse is like similar because you're watching it looking at a catholic church but it's also this moment of like cultural religious and social purity like a holy communion is supposed to be this very like holy um purifying moment mm-hmm. where it sort of brings children into the church like formally yeah yeah like i might have mixed opinions about churches and religion in general but i definitely don't pair images of churches with waterboarding yeah and well i mean depends okay (laughs) well yeah that's a whole it's a whole another topic anyway moving forward yeah but uh and you think about that moment like the the clashing emotions are sort of very authentic to real life right like that that um, moment of abuse could have happened like the day before that communion. It could have happened the day after, and mm-hmm. um, that's really sort of true to human experience. Like it's not just like um, you're watching a happy movie and it's happy for like ten minutes, and then it's sad for two minutes, and then it's happy for this. Like life is so mixed. It's like an eclectic, chaotic um, soup of of all of these conflicting moments and yeah that, that really got me i think she does a good job of of accurately showing a human experience like not yeah. just show showing the good but also showing the bad and then there are moments too where the the image actually sort of embodies the emotion of the story really well and one of the the best ones is this roller coaster sequence where mm. um uh, she's in a movie theater with her father and they're watching H- an adaptation like H.G. H- Wells' um, Time Machine, the sci-fi book. And she's terrified by it um, and puts her hands over her eyes and her father makes her take her hands off and l- watch the movie even though she's horrified. And um, the imagery you see is of a roller coaster, of Sue Friedrich on a roller coaster with her Bolex camera and it's shaking <laughs> all over the place because the roller coaster is crazy and she's really scared. She was scared of roller coasters herself. Right, and, right. And, you know... The, the feeling of this imagery of this frantic, crazy roller coaster um, matches well with like the ex- exhilaration of the terror she felt watching this film. And it sort of bleeds together in this really interesting way. But mm-hmm. if you were making a film the conventional way, um, you would be watching the girl in the movie theater. You wouldn't be seeing. Uh, yeah, may- maybe not showing the movie because copyright laws exist, but. Yeah, and you would you bought you wouldn't be watching a roller coaster while a voiceover narration tells you about a movie theater. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's that it's that that pairing that that you know becomes really personal sort of expression. For, yeah, you know. So it's interesting that she uses shots like that where the the feeling of the shot expresses what she's narrating. Uh, she uses shots where what you're seeing is the opposite of what she's narrating. And sometimes she just actually shows what's going on, um, like in a scene where 
Uh, she's describing one of her birthday parties where her dad took her to an ice skating rink. It is, in fact, showing an ice skating rink. And, yeah. like, a, a girl kind of, like, falling down and, like, yeah. learning how to ice skate. Uh, that almost threw me off as much as the other scenes, because now I'm getting used to not being shown what mm-hmm. she's talking about. Yeah, it's really keeping you on your toes, mm-hmm. you know. And and I think one of the other sequences that stands out to me um, that's different than all the ones that we mentioned is because it's probably, it's one of the most multi-layered sequences to me is the very beginning, which is crazy. Oh, That yeah. she starts... She starts with imagery and narration that sets up this like orchestra of complex tiers of emotion and ideas where um, the footage that you're seeing is of a zygote and of like the the maturation of like an egg being fertilized Mm -hmm. Um, under a microscope. You're like watching the the sperm and the egg and like the cells of the zygote. It was actually just um, a really zoomed in porno. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, essentially. But then you're hearing about the birth story of Athena um, and of how she sprung from the head of Zeus. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy because you're you're hearing a story about birth and you're literally watching a scientific rendition of birth, but they couldn't be more different, you know, from each other. Well, we, we don't know that there wasn't a fertilized zygote in Zeus's head, but <laughs> I mean, if we're to believe the stories, maybe not. Yeah, and it's interesting because, like, the imagery of the zygote looks almost like an alien landscape. It's so, like, the lighting of it is insane, and and all of these, like, um, the forms of the cells and them dividing and everything Mm -hmm. looks so mesmerizing and almost like an alien creature, but it's like you're literally watching birth. You couldn't be more literal, and then you're watching and you're listening to mythology, which couldn't be less literal. You know what I mean? But at the same time, mythology tells us a lot about humanity. Like, it tells us about the emotion, like the emotional quality of humanity, the philosophy of humanity. So you're, mm-hmm. you're learning about people. And I mean, and then the zygote, you're like learning about science in a literal sense, but it's not telling you any, like, it's it's maddening, that sequence. Not maddening in a good <laughs> way. It's like, you could just think about it for so yeah, long. Yeah, we, we could do, um, <clears throat> we could do a full podcast on that sequence, probably. Yeah. But. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. And. I think this is important to talk about what she had to say, and I, I don't want to be hoity-toity and quote my own interview, but I'm. But we're gonna. That's, that's Shameless exactly plug in. So, uh, Sue Friedrich says, like, quote, given my upbringing, let's say within the experimental film world, I was educated to think about how exciting or challenging or interesting it can be when things don't exactly align. Um, and she goes on to say she loves narrative films, but she loved to think, like, I wonder why that shot goes with that sound. Um, and when I was doing sink or swim, I was very much in the frame of mind of thinking if I put this with that, it's going to create some third creature. That's a combination of the two things, um, that will hopefully be clear to the viewer. Like she's not trying to confuse people. Um, she's experimenting. Yeah. She's not pulling a fast one on us, but like we're, we're still, we still have to put some things together ourselves. Exactly. And I, and after talking about Athena, I think the Greek mythology, it's it's a good transition to that. Look at me. I can Perfect be a broadcaster segue. too, T. Hey, thanks. Just like, thanks for the news, kid. <laughs> Just like you, son. Hey, sport. <laughs> and, and so the Greek mythology in the film is set up in this sort of paradigm where it's um, Athena, Atalanta, Aphrodite, and Demeter. And they're, they're shown as sort of different sides of how the Greeks saw femininity mm-hmm. in that way. Um but her father is this like linguist and um, <clears throat> scholar of like ancient Greek. 
and the way he thinks about the world is in this sort of highfalutin, very academic way that's sort of divorced from everyday experience in a way. So he thinks of all these things, but it's he cannot connect with his daughter because um, she's like apparently either not smart enough or not astute enough or, to understand or like the deep mythology of humanity or something, you know. And it shows you how those aspects of of those goddesses sort of flatten the character of humanity. Like the complexity of humanity is so much more, so much deeper than those like caricatures as well. And if right. you can only, I mean, you can only of... get so much into a sh- short story about, right. I don't know. Uh, Atalanta and her suitors or um, right. Athena and birth. Like you're not telling a whole human experience through there. And, and one of the, the most heartbreaking experiences in the film is when you see, or when you see but she tells you that she she took out a book from her father and um she couldn't read it because it was too academic like she was probably using like 10 syllable words every second as somebody and, um, who who has had to read papers like that for my major i completely fucking agree she can't connect with her father like in normal circumstances and when she tries to read his writing which you'd think is like his personal expression she can't even decipher what you know he's saying so her father's inner machinations are an enigma. <laughs> not really, I don't know. Maybe not. I think it the <laughs> Maybe they're a little makes it pretty clear. <laughs> yeah. But um that's a that's a part of the film that is 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 really interesting, but it's also like Oh man, it makes me think about I mean, I I am striving to be an academic and I, I definitely don't want to fall into that pitfall where I divorce myself from the world around me to think about my theories you know what i mean yeah i I don't think that's going to be a problem for you though fall into the abyss of self-rumination or whatever if you ever find yourself um smoking a cigar in a fancy lounge chair staring at a wall ruminating about the world maybe you've gone too far but until then i think you're in the clear i hope so and one of the sequences that we want to talk about is the typewriter sequence uh yes, yes 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 i really did enjoy that one yeah when you when you saw it for the first time, what were you thinking? Um, you know? Well, I kind of liked it because it gave me time to stop and think while I was reading this. Um, it was it was kind of weird in the sense that like the rate at which she's typing, like at some points she's kind of typing, and then it seems as if you can almost like feel her kind of stop and think about what she wants to say next. And I while I was think watching this. I kept thinking, I was like, man, if this was it today, I feel like we'd be seeing, like, a whole bunch of, like, sentences already being written out and then erased and then reworded and then erased and then reworded. But on a typewriter, they don't have that luxury. So it's like you can feel her hesitation through the yeah. pacing. You can feel her thoughts, mm-hmm. like, sprouting in her mind. It's so interesting. Through the pacing of the typing. So to, to tell people what it, it is, it's literally like a, a bird's-eye view close-up of a typewriter or it's like a closer close-up of the typewriter and you see her typing a letter out to her father um and it talks about like her mother um crying and listening to a schubert song which you actually hear in the film um during one transition part and and it sort of unfolds on you in this incredibly sort of paced uh scene it's one long take it doesn't cut away um and you see this sort of like stream of consciousness as she's talking to her father um and in the end uh she even says that like p.s 
you know, I wish I could, you know, mail you this letter or whatever. So it's it it's even just like you're literally looking at her writing in her diary. Yeah. You know, which is in, which is insane. Yeah, it's taking the autobiography portion of this to a whole new level because you are literally seeing her putting her thoughts down on paper. And and sort of a funny story about this too is that it, shooting it shot in negative, which mm-hmm. makes this like it sort of pops out of the frame. Um, in that way, when I asked her about it, she said it was an accident. She didn't actually try and do that. How do you accidentally shoot something like that? That's an actual technical question. I have no idea how. So another famous experimental filmmaker's name is um, Peggy Awash, and um, Awash, and um, she uh, uh, accidentally put negative like in the camera or like messed up oh, in some way, okay. and like, and uh, they they got out and and she was sort of freaking out. Um, but at the same time, she's like, maybe this is a happy accident, and it works so well. It makes mm-hmm. it sort of pop off of the page. Um, it looks beautiful. Yeah, in, in a um, scene that's already standing out in this as being very different from the rest of the film, like, being in negative only helps. Yeah, and um, the last thing I think we'll rant about, and I think I've been ranting a lot because I, I feel so much passion for this film. And that's okay. Hopefully when people watch this movie, uh, they're going to feel similarly. I definitely know that I want to rewatch this. I don't Yeah. I don't know that it's going to become my favorite movie ever, but definitely a good one. <laughs> and the last portion of this analysis part that I want to get to, I think I want, you know, T to give me his reaction as well as that um, it is okay for a film to be challenging, not in a way where um the violence like grosses you out and it's hard to get through yeah. it which i know some people like matt would be like he's a gore historian whatever but um this a film can be challenging and that can be okay and you can get something from that challenge you know what yes I mean? um if i were to describe this in a way that i best understand it would be like why i enjoy video games like dark souls so much yes because I mean, I mean, yeah, it's a beautiful game. It's it, it's done well. It's fun to play, but, but like, it's meaningful. Like everything you do in that game is meaningful. Um, whether it's just like simply leveling up or finally beating a boss, and I think that this film does the same way. It's not meant to, like, like like she said, it's not supposed to be difficult for people to watch this. It's not supposed to be a slog, but. I was sitting there and I was watching it and I was like, I am really not sure what she's going for here, but I'm trying to figure it out. And I'm enjoying that yeah, process. Dark, Dark Souls is a perfect example. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually didn't think about that because the going through this film like a puzzle and growing with it over time is so satisfying to me as, as, a, as a film whatever studies person. And... Um, when you watch like not to just pick on Marvel movies all the time but when you watch one of those films you're not supposed to go out of them and sort of ruminate about your existence and why you're on this planet and what you're here to do but what Um, was Groot really saying (laughs) yeah exactly but this film you could watch it 60 times and you can still come out of it with a different perspective and it can um can sort of alter your perspective through a sort of like meditation a sort of empathy like empathizing with someone else's perspective and this guy would know he has probably watched it uh 60 times and and going back to the challenge thing too there's something really satisfying about unlocking this film just like it's satisfying it's like to an play achievement. dark souls 
You just got the <laughs> yeah. achievement. You understood Sue Friedrich's work. That's yeah, worth it's, 15 it's a, gamer yeah. points. It's an amazing feeling, and I think another part of that is um, something Scott McDonald, the famous scholar Scott McDonald, talks about in his avant-garde film book is that um, a lot of these avant-garde filmmakers are striving for ultra-personal expression. They're not losing themselves in these films, like a lot of Hollywood films where you're just trying to make a diamond and sell it to people. Um, they're, they're making these really complex, uh, not to use a, geolog- a, geo- a matrix, Ooh. if I want to use a geology world uh, word, um, and giving it to you, and it's like a piece of their soul. So that's why it might be challenging, because people are like complex beings. Mm-hmm. You know, They've got different facets, cleavage planes, uh, inclusions, uh, imperfections, uh, all these do work. I just, I'm racking my brain for geological terms. Faults, yeah, so folds, <laughs> synclines. So <laughs> and so when you're challenged by a film like this, Volcanic it might be events. because we're so, <laughs> we're so used to films that, um, not just spoon feed us like some video games do. Right. Mm-hmm. But are meant to be easily decipherable. And to me, that that gets away from who we are as human beings, because we're we're you know such gray area creatures, um, and they have this sort of like unreality to them that I find really, you know, boring, yeah, and and really sort of unstimulating. Mm-hmm. Um, and similar to uh, what you were just saying, you can watch this and have a totally different reaction and interpret something completely different from what we've been saying and i think sue friedrich is saying that's 100 percent cool like that's that's encouraged yeah and i mean she's a big proponent of experimental film um as an educator as a filmmaker herself as an arts advocate so i think that's what you know she would definitely say is that films like this are sort of healthy for society and uh you know i think this episode's been a milestone, so I think, you know, it's time to sort of wrap it up here. Mm-hmm. But and, uh, uh, but what's next is, I think, what all of our listeners and myself are asking. So I, I think we're going we're gonna to ramp it back a little bit. Um, ramp it back? No, ramp it up. Ramp it sideways. We're going to go on a journey to Iran. Ooh, and, um, never been. I'm not, I'm not so sure which film we're going to watch. Um... We're, we're going to watch a film from a director called Abbas Kiarostami, who is one of the greatest masters that cinema has ever seen. Okay. Um, he's an Iranian director, um, and I've seen seven of his films so far, and they're all just amazing, amazingly perfect. And so we're either going to watch um, Where's My Friend's House, which is a lovely film about a kid trying to return his notebook to his friend because he accidentally stole his notebook. Classic. Um, and the trials and tribulations of that. Um, in sort of a rural village called Koker in Iran. It's part of like a trilogy of films. Mm. This um, is before Google Maps, I'm guessing. Otherwise, it would be a pretty short oh, yeah. film. Or we're going to watch Taste of Cherry, which is a very, very different themed hmm. film. Uh, okay. I don't want to spoil it for you, but it's pretty dark. Um, okay, not what I would have guessed from that name, but <laughs> I'll be looking forward yeah. to it. So I kind of, I almost want to flip a coin which one to watch, but if you want sort of we're, you know, we'll do Taste of Cherry. I think you can take it. Bring it we're gonna on. Watch Taste of Cher- we're going to watch Taste of Cherry. I am not allergic um, to cherry. 
But uh, thank you. This has been, you know, the Art House Drive-In. This is really like a mid-season finale, like if we have seasons of this show. So I'm I was, I'm very happy to have done this episode. I've been building to yeah, this. So I, thank you. For- I've been enjoying everything that we've been doing this whole time, um, and they've yeah. really only been getting better. Uh, so yeah. I'm excited to see which way it goes. Um, and yeah. thank you uh, to everyone who's stopped by and just listened to us uh, just talk shop for a little bit. Uh, really means yeah. a lot to have you guys listen to us. Thank you for joining our spaceship for this this leg of the journey. Uh, thank you for T for being my co-pilot uh, on this journey. And uh, thank you, Split yeah, thanks, everybody again uh, for letting us be on their on their platform. I know we're part of the family, but I have to thank them. It's in the contract. <laughs> So, so go follow Split Tooth Media on Twitter and on Facebook. Um, read all our articles. You know, read my interviews. Shameless plug. Uh, yeah, go, go listen to Synesthesia's podcast uh, and have a great time. But Split Tooth Media is an awesome place, and we are happy to be there. So thank you. Yes, sir. All right. Well, I think that's all from us. So uh, catch you guys next time. You've been listening to a Split Tooth Media presentation. You can find us on Letterboxd as Arthouse Drive-In and on Twitter at Arthouse Inn. That's right, we can't change it. Feel free to join us in our little cars we talk about films each week, give or take. Probably.